All right, show of hands or show of gloves. Who has ever said something that as it went out of your mouth, you realized, oh, I wish I could take that back? You've done that. Oh, okay, you've been there. And you know that those words that went out of your mouth that you shared, you know as a result of that, it's too late, they're already out there, those words end up leading to some type of conflict or fight. Raise your hand if that's happened. Raise your glove if that's happened. Okay, we've all done that. So yes, of course, you can see I'm wearing boxing gloves this morning because we are talking about relational conflict. Relational fighting at some point, whether it's, you know, at the office, in an office space, in a car, in a bedroom, in in a living room, the ropes will go up, the gloves will come on, and we'll find ourselves going toe-to-toe with someone we love or care about. And of course, of course, hopefully never, ever, ever physically. But you know you're toe-to-toe with someone. And there's the verbal blows. There's the verbal jabs, the verbal uppercuts. And we end up saying things and we land a punch that wounds deeply, that hurts deeply and causes damage. The reality is conflict is a part of every relationship. Conflict handled incorrectly is going to lead you to unhealthy relationships. And I had unhealthy relationships. It's going to lead us to isolation. And it's going to lead us to a loneliness and separation. But an ideal team player, man, we learn how to, you know, box, so to speak, fight fair. We learn how to handle conflict in a healthy way. In fact, in a boxing ring, when two fighters come together to, to fight one another, there has to be rules, Right? I mean, it's not a free-for-all, but it's an interesting concept to think they're going in there to beat each other to a pulp, and yet there are still rules. In the same way in our relationship, when the ropes go up and the gloves come on, we've got to follow the rules of conflict, the rules of conflict management, if we're going to navigate our relationships in a healthy way. Inevitably, when the ropes go up and the gloves come on and conflict occurs inevitably you and I handle it you already raised your hands we handle it sometimes in ways that aren't the most healthy let me just mention a few of those ways where we don't necessarily follow the rules we oftentimes have a tendency to speak before we listen we want to get it all out we want to throw it all out there we want to put everything out there on the table we don't listen we just speak and the times that we say okay I'm not going to speak I'm going to listen usually we're preparing in our minds what we're going to say next. And so when we're, quote, listening, I'm using quotes right now. (laughs) When we're, quote, listening, we're not really listening. We're not really paying attention. A lot of times we're tempted to do that in relationships. Another way that we have, uh, the way that we handle conflict in an unhealthy way is we toss in the towel or we just give in. Now, I'm not talking about healthy compromise. I'm talking about when conflict comes, we just kind of give in. We just kind of surrender. We don't speak up in a healthy way for what we need or what we want. One of the big problems is when you and I just give in, we store up. 
When we give in, we store up, we stuff it. When we just let them have their way, all that stuff at some point will inevitably come out. It'll erupt, and when it does, it won't be pretty. There's another way that you and I deal with relational conflict in an unhealthy way. When the ropes are up and the gloves are on, we hit below the belt. We hit below the belt. In other words, we don't fight fair. We fight dirty. We do things such as name-calling. We, we, we throw a blow by bringing up things from the past. We mention certain times of the month that shouldn't be mentioned at certain times of the month. We throw digs and jabs at one another's insecurities. We use sarcasm to hurt somebody. It actually reminded me of the classic Winston Churchill comeback. Maybe you've heard this before. Lady Astor once said to Winston Churchill, if you were my husband, I'd put poison in your coffee. And he responded back and said, if you were my wife, I'd drink it. <laughs> sarcasm both ways. But sarcasm is one of the ways in which you and I fight dirty. Today I want to look at just one passage of Scripture. Yes, my one is up. Just underneath the glove and we're going to talk about conflict from just one angle from one just one perspective we could spend weeks and weeks talking about it so we have to zero in a little bit today and talk about how to deal with conflict in a God-honoring way and and we're going to look at this one verse and if we can put this verse into practice in our conflict with others you and I can become like you know conflict rock stars we can be ideal team players so, if you can take off the gloves and live out 1 Peter 3, that was my transition to get these off, they're really hot. <laughs> if you can take off the gloves and begin to live out 1 Peter 3, you're going to experience great connections with others. You're going to experience intimacy with others. You're going to experience strong and healthy relationships. You put this into practice, you will experience that guaranteed. So, 1 Peter chapter 3, if you haven't turned there yet. And it says this. It says, finally, all of you, he's talking to all of us, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were, I want to say this together, to this you were, what's the word? You were? called so that you may inherit a blessing. Peter's telling all of us to be in agreement, to be like-minded about this path to which we were called to handle conflict. And he starts off and he says, man, are you going to be an ideal team player? If you're going to be a conflict rock star, then verse 8, you're going to show sympathy. When you and I, when we put those gloves on and there is conflict, Peter's saying, I want you to show sympathy. Now, what does that mean? The word sympathy, you ready for this? In the Greek and the original language, it means to feel with another person. In other words, an ideal team player will validate someone else's feelings. Now, we're going to talk about validating someone's feelings from a biblical perspective, not the world's perspective. So set all that stuff aside, because I know for some of you, that word validate their feelings is a trigger word. Let's look at it from a biblical perspective. Seeking to truly understand what it is they're saying, what it is they're going through, what it is they're experiencing. 
That's what it means to validate them. That's what it means to be sympathetic, that we would feel with them in their hurt and in their pain and in their anger, whatever they may be going through. Sympathy, showing sympathy in a God-honoring way means you seek to understand their context, their perspective. What am I talking about? Remember last week or the first couple of weeks, we've talked about learning to accept one another, accept our differences, even celebrate those differences. Well, I got to tell you, that's been a process I've gone through for the last couple decades because there are people out there who, uh, who just, I'm in, even in relationship with this to the, I'm in relationship with to this day. And I got to tell you, they just see things so much differently than me. I mean, their conclusions are, are a completely foreign way of thinking to me. They'll read the same thing that I read. They'll, they'll hear the same thing I hear or watch the same thing I walk, watch, and they will come up with the exact opposite conclusions as me. Is anybody in a relationship with someone like that? Right? You're, you, you're like, how is that possible? Now, I got to tell you, just from an evangelistic point of view, Jesus said, go make disciples evangelistically. If you don't have people like that in your life, chances are you're not trying to reach people for Jesus. Because guaranteed, if you're trying to reach people for Jesus, you're going to have relationship with people who don't have your perspective, at least from a biblical point of view. So just a little bit of a challenge to even reflect and go, man, do I have that in my life? But we also have it with those we're in good, close relationship with, even in the church. And so I've worked hard to try to understand their perspective, and I'm inviting you to understand their perspective and their context, realizing those people have a different background than you. Realizing that those people operate on a different set of assumptions than you. They have different experiences than you. And so by truly seeking to understand their context, when I do that, when you do that, it helps us feel with that person. It helps you to actually begin to see something from their perspective. That's how God invites us to show sympathy. I was on a walk the other morning and a guy was in his garage and was yelling at what I presumed to be his teenage daughter. And I got to tell you, as I was walking, I had my headphones on and I was listening to music, but man, I could hear it piercing through and, and it was brutal and, and, and the guy was just going at it and I, I had this thought, I want to butt in and say something. I really did. And then I realized... First of all, if I butt in, that's relationship conflict right there guaranteed, right? But if I butt in and try to say something, if the person doesn't beat me to a pulp, what is the person probably going to say? Regardless of the exact words, it's going to be something to the effect of, you have no idea what's going on in here right now. You have no right to butt into our situation right now. You don't know our context because if you did and you had a teenage daughter going through blah, 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 you would probably be doing the exact same thing I'm doing. To which made me think, because I was thinking even of this message, I was like, oh my goodness. There's been times when I've been so angry at my children. Have you ever been angry at one of your children? Just one. I didn't say all of them. You've been so angry at them that in your efforts to discipline them, and you maybe even in a godly way, in your efforts to do that, that maybe you said some things or did something that, that if somebody were to witness 10 seconds or 20 seconds of what you were doing, they might go, oh my goodness, what's going on there? 
And so as I kept walking, I realized, hmm. And I started to think to myself, wow, what must be their context that that's going on right now? It's so important when the ropes go up and the gloves go on and the conflict begins to build that we start to view one another with sympathy. We begin to feel with the other person and we do that as we validate their feelings and you do that by trying to relate to them. You try to understand where they're coming from and see from their perspective. Understand, try to seek to understand their context. And I get it. I get, trust me, I know it is so hard. It's so difficult. It's hard to validate somebody else's feelings that you might even think are crazy, that you can't comprehend. So how do you do it? How do you be sympathetic? How do you validate them? How do you do that practically? It starts with learning to listen. Learning to listen James chapter 1, verse 19, James says, hey, I want you to take note of this, is what he says. Everybody should be, and what's the word? Everybody should be quick to, what's the word? Quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life God desires. James says conflict rock stars are the people who are, you know, our first reaction, that we get to a point where we are quick to listen. When something starts to happen and it's a potential conflict, our first reaction is not to speak out, but to listen, to be slow to speak. And when you could do it in that order, there is much higher likelihood that we can be slower to become angry. Listen so that we can understand their perspective and understand their context. I want to invite you this week to do that. You're in a situation, circumstance with somebody that you begin to listen more, to ask questions, try to understand where they're coming from, what's their background, what's their context, why are they thinking the way they are thinking. That will help you to show sympathy. Another way to practically show sympathy is to say the three magic words, you are wrong. Oh, wait, those aren't the three magic words. Three magic words, you ready for this? I am sorry. I am sorry. I'm sorry. Now, since men and women are very different from one another, the I am sorry strategies typically means two different things for us. I say typically because normally when I start characterizing us, you know, and start saying, well, men are typically this, women are typically this, I always get people after the service who come up to me and say, well, I know I'm a woman, but I really respond like this. Or a guy comes up to me and says, but I know I'm a guy, but I really respond like this. So I get it. You don't have to come up to me and tell me that. I understand. <laughs> I understand it doesn't, it's not 100%, but typically, stereotypically, Guys can really struggle with saying, I am sorry, because typically we think it's an admission of guilt. Saying I'm sorry is saying I was wrong. And there may be a situation that we're in that we need to talk about that we don't think we're wrong. Guys, you need to understand what the words I am sorry mean to typically to, to women. For them, it's not an admission of guilt. For them, it's a statement of care and sympathy. It's a statement of, you know, care and concern by you saying, I am sorry. So guys, if you want to be ideal team player, conflict rock stars, 
when you begin to say those magic words, I am sorry, you are saying I care about you. I'm concerned about you. I want to show sympathy to you in the midst of what we're going through. You may think it's about an admission of guilt. That's not how they're viewing it, stereotypically. In fact, guys, I want to practice this together, okay? We're going to practice saying the words, I am sorry. Now, I'm going to tell you first service. I'm just going to tell you now because I don't have time. I've got to keep going through the sermon. Um, it was awful first service. <laughs> like it was like, I am sorry. I mean, bad. so we'll actually say, I'm sorry. So instead of three words, we'll say, I'm sorry. <laughs> so guys, here's what you're going to do. You're going to say the phrase, I'm sorry. And when I say one, two, three, and we're going to say, I'm sorry, you're going to do it loud with conviction as a way not that you're wrong because we know you're right and whatever it is. Does that make you feel better? but as a way to genuinely show you care. You don't turn to the right or left when you say this. We'll avoid that. You can deal with that later. You can just look straight ahead, okay? But I want the words to come out of your mouth. So on the count of three, we're going to say, I'm sorry, just men. One, two, three. I'm sorry. Dude, awesome! That was so good. Honestly, based on first service, I was like, this is not going to go well. Way to go, guys. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Listen, guys, that'll go a long way to diffuse a situation and a conflict. Another way to show sympathy in a practical way is to express your feelings with words. Express your feeling with words. Ladies, you need to understand that guys really under struggle with, I am sorry, because they don't understand that it's showing sympathy towards you. Ladies, you struggle with understanding that us guys are not mind readers. <laughs> Someone's like, what? <laughs> You're not? Because all my gal pals, we all get it, and we're intuitive. Ladies, you're amazing. I don't know how you do it. The mind reading and just you know what each other's are, are thinking and feeling, but us guys, we're not so intuitive. And we don't get it. So we need you to say what you are thinking. I was listening to a Dave Ramsey, Ramsey podcast this week, and he said these words. He said in, in, in a relationship they needed to talk about their finance, he said this. About talking about guys, he said, and this is on the air, he said, subtlety does not work with us. You have to be very direct. Subtlety doesn't work with us. You have to be direct. We aren't mind readers. So ladies, you could really, really help us out by telling us what's going on inside that all your lady friends, they get. We need you to be black and white. We need you to be direct. We need you to say it. Because, man, we hear things literally, so tell us what you're thinking or feeling. We really need your help in this area. See, Heather and I, we raised two boys, and it was super easy for me. Because, I mean, it's boys, and boys are easy, and we just say it and speak it and fight about it and figure it out, and it's done, and it's good. Then my daughter Callie came along. And I got to tell you, I watched the differences between boys and girls unfolding before my very eyes. And it's like, for 13 years, man, she just wants me to figure it out. To figure it out. And so, I have been trying to teach her to use her words. 
I'm a big boy, I'm dad, I can handle it. Not for me, but for her future husband. <laughs> I'm trying to help the guy. So I'm like, Callie, use your words. Tell me what you're thinking. I got to tell you, I think she's finally making progress. And I've been teaching her, use your words. How are you feeling? A lot of times I come home and I want to knock on her door and then you know, walk into her room and say, hey, how's it going? And so I came home one day and she finally put into practice using her words what she was feeling. And so she put this sign on the door. Anybody have a teenage girl? Is that, uh, is that accurate? <laughs> Best thing I've ever seen in my life when I came home and saw that. By the way, when you express your thinking with words, men and women, Ephesians 4 has something to say about this. Verse 15 says to speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Verse under. Uh, uh, verse 25 underscores that same thought. Paul went on and said, therefore, putting, putting away lying, let each of you speak truth. It's critical to communicate with words. And when you do communicate with words, it's from a place of truthfulness. It's from a place of love. Don't bury it. Don't stuff it. It's an unfair expectation for anyone to have to be a mind reader. Speak words and make sure they're truthful and make sure that they're in love. Now, just a quick life group question. If you're doing sermon studies, I, I, here's a question you ought to ask in the group because as go back and look at Ephesians 4. And the question I thought of is, is it a form of lying when you stuff it inside and you don't speak up the truth in love? Is that actually a form of lying based on what Paul was saying? Give us some thought. See how God works in you. Is it lying when we stuff it and we don't speak the truth in love? There's just a couple ways. We can show sympathy when conflict begins to erupt in our relationship. Uh, Peter goes on in 1 Peter 3, and in verse 8, he goes on and says that conflict rock stars are also going to show brotherly love. Now, your translation probably doesn't say brotherly love, but in 1 Peter 3, 8, in the original Greek, some translations say it, it says to love as brothers or to, show, to have brotherly love. That's the literal translation, have brotherly love. Now, we know what that is, right? Again, I just mentioned my boys, Kobe and Cameron, growing up, they would have these conflicts, and they were hard, and they were brutal, but they always worked it out. They always eventually figured it out, and we would teach them from the very, very beginning, listen, and they, would, they, they grew up, you know, sharing a room together. We would teach them, you guys are brothers, and you will always have each other. Friends will come and go. Girlfriends will come and go bosses, employers, all this, they will all come and go, but you will always have each other. Why? Because you're family. You're brothers. And that's what he's talking about here, that you have this commitment, this sense towards others, that you show a brotherly love. You show a, I'm going to treat you as if you're part of my family. And we will work this out. No matter how we got to go at it, we will work it out. My boys, I watch them and how they communicate today, and they're living it out. They have an incredible love for each other. That's brotherly love. But showing brotherly love isn't our natural inclination. 
our natural inclination is to be like the husband and wife who got pulled over by the CHP. The husband and wife, they were arguing and, and, and going out a little bit, been fighting in the car, and the gloves were on, and they were, they were throwing jabs at each other. And so the patrolman comes up and says, excuse me, sir, you were going over 100 miles an hour. And the man says, officer, officer, I, 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 that, that can't be right. Your, 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 your gun must be wrong. I, I never speed. I don't break the laws. I always follow the laws of the land. And the officer peers into the, to the wife and says, is that true? Does he always follow the laws? And she says, no way. He drives like a maniac. <laughs> He's always out of control all the time. He speeds all the time. The husband looks at her with like wide eyed. Then the officer says, hey, I, I notice you don't have your seatbelt on. I'm going to have to give you a citation for that as well. The man responds back and says, sir, you, uh, officer, you don't understand. Of course, I, I just took it off for you. I always wear my seatbelt. I always follow the laws of the land. I care about safety and protection and taking care of people. Cops looks into the wife and says, ma'am, is that true? Does he always wear his seatbelt? She says, oh, he never wears his seatbelt. And he looks over at her. He can't believe what she's doing. He's so ticked at her. And he, he looks at her and he says, woman, keep it quiet. Stop speaking. What are you doing to me? The officer looks in and says, does he always speak to you like that? And she says, only when he's drunk. <laughs> step out of the car. Step out of the car. See, sometimes that's more of our natural inclination to actually get back at each other rather than showing brotherly love. You see, showing brotherly love follows the rules of the ring. We follow the rules of the ring. There are rules in conflict, in conflict management. My boys used to beat each other up physically with, anybody remember these Hulk hands? Okay, right? The whole kid. We, we love those, man. Those were awesome. And we'd have those, and they'd be going at it with each other. It's very simple. When you're in the ring, or the, actually, this is, let me just say it this way. With guys, when they went to fight, there's a universal rule. Like kids come out of the, boys come out of the womb just knowing this rule. It's not an American rule. It's like a, a rule for all mankind if you're a male from time through eternity. And the one, number one rule is when you're using whole cans, when you're fighting, when you're battling, you never hit below the Never, ever, ever. It's a rule. That's just how it works. Showing brotherly love says we're going to follow the rules of the ring. What are they? It means you don't hit below the belt, which means for starters, you never, here's a rule, you never degrade another person. Ephesians 4.29 says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. That word, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. In the Greek, that word unwholesome can be translated as spoiled. Okay? And, and I'm curious, anybody here have kids or grandkids uh, when they were little or if they're little, and you walked into your car one day and all of a sudden it was the most raunchiest, nasty, putrid smell in the vehicle. Has that ever happened to anybody? A few people here. It's happened, right? And you're like, what is that smell? And you can't figure it out and you start hunting and looking around. And then all of a sudden after all the digging, you look under the seat and there you see it. 
the sippy cup that had exploded, that had sat in the Sacramento heat full of milk for two weeks. And it smelled, and it was raunchy, and it was nasty. The reality is, the words we say can leave scars that last a long, long time. And so when you degrade another person, those words are like spoiled milk left in a car in the Sacramento heat. They're going to have a permanent stench in somebody's life. It's spoiled words, and it's awful. In the midst of conflict, ideal team players, relational rock stars, they keep their words wholesome, not spoiled. Degrading another person, man, is off limits. Second way to show brotherly love and follow the rules of the ring is to keep your tone of voice level. I was talking to a person this week who their boss, he said, is a master of this. That his boss, in the midst of conflicts, because he manages a lot of people, has to deal with a lot of conflict, and he said, I can't believe how he always speaks calmly and softly in the circumstances. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 27 says, He who restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Control your words. Have a cool spirit, which means that we're even-tempered, that we stay calm, that we keep a cool head. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but oftentimes in relationships, there's one person who is kind of the calm person, maybe even a passive person, and oftentimes there's one who's like the crazy person. You know, and, the, and, and, I, and I get it. And, and again, that's why I don't want you to raise your hands or anything, because that, that, that's a sensitive thing. You're like, my husband, my wife, man, they just... The Bible says, man, cool, calm. It can lead to a much more healthy and productive outcome when we keep it calm. Another way to show brotherly love, following the rules of the ring, is to avoid comparisons. Avoid comparisons. That means (laughs) you never say, you're just like fill in the blank. (laughs) <laughs> okay, that, that, that hit a nerve. My grandpa, his name was Freddy Krueger. And no, he wasn't the evil character of the 1980s series. Um, and no, by mentioning that, I'm not endorsing that. But he wasn't that character. My grandpa, Freddy Krueger, I can remember times when my dad and mom were, were arguing. And they were going at it. And then all of a sudden, my dad would throw in that uppercut. And he would say, he would call her Fredrina. <laughs> Mark's laughing because he knows my dad and he can picture it. And when he called her Fredrina, my mom would, es- it would escalate the fight to a whole nother level. Avoid comparisons. Avoid throwing, hey, you're just like. The, a comparison is an atomic bomb. You're pushing the button, you're hitting below the belt. Finally, another way to uh, show brotherly love. Man, you got to avoid leveraging stuff. What do I mean by that? In conflicts or fights, we oftentimes, our low blows are we leverage things. We leverage things like the D word, divorce. We leverage finances. We leverage sex. We leverage the kids or a promotion or a raise or whatever the case may be. We leverage all types of things in the midst of the conflict and the arguments don't go there. Ideal team players 
conflict rock stars show sympathy. They show brotherly love. Let's jam through the last couple. Next, we show humility, Peter said. 1 Peter 3.8. Humility is to be free of pride and arrogance. It just means super practically that we're willing to admit, hey, maybe I'm not right. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I don't have it all together. It's fascinating how you and I will go to a specialist for everything. If you have legal issues, you'll go to a lawyer. The electricity doesn't work, you'll call an electrician. If you're sick, you will go to a doctor. And yet when our relationships are breaking down, we oftentimes don't call anybody. We just stuff it and bury it inside. But relational rock stars are humble, free of pride and arrogance. They can say these three words, I need help. I need help. And so they go to a friend. They go to our mentor. They go to a counselor and say, can you help me? Can you help me? Proverbs 13.10 said, Pride only breeds quarrels or conflicts, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. Have the humility to say, I need some help. Will you help me? Lastly, Peter says, conflict rock stars pay people back with a blessing. When you're in the midst of a challenge and a conflict, there's going to be payback in some degree. 1 Peter 3.9, he says, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Why? Because this is to what you were called to. When there's conflict occurring, you and I, we have a choice. And Peter says in that, don't repay. If, they, if you think it's evil what they're doing, don't repay evil with evil. If they're insulting you, don't respond back with another jab, another insult. Rather, respond back with blessing. The New Living Translation says, pay back with a blessing. Of course, we can pay back with our actions. We've talked a lot about that this, today and these last few weeks. But pay back with a blessing also comes through our words. And when you speak a blessing into other people's lives, you can bring hope and encouragement and a deepening of the relationship. Speaking a blessing on people's life is something that's very biblical. It goes all the way back to the Old Testament days. And God told the priest, I want you to speak a blessing upon the people. In Numbers chapter 6, he said this, I want you to speak this blessing to people, and I want you to say this, say, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. Can you imagine if we become the type of conflict rock stars who, in the midst of our challenges, we speak that type of blessing to somebody to encourage them? So what about you this morning? Are you willing to commit? Are you willing to be a conflict rock star, an ideal team player? That when the conflict comes up, because it will, it's a part of life, that we will commit to showing sympathy, that we will show brotherly love, that we will show and demonstrate humility, and we're going to pay people back, not with evil or insults, but we're going to pay them back with an incredible blessing by actions and by with our words. That's what God's inviting you to this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I know we just scratched the surface today. We ran through quite a bit. But God, I pray your Holy Spirit has spoken to each heart and God, that we will grab a hold of what we need to hear from you. So God, I pray you'd help us with this. And God, I know that means for some people today, it's time to have a conversation. It's time to take that hard step to be humble enough 
to set aside pride and arrogance and say, we need to talk. Or to go to somebody else and say, I need some help because I want to deal with this relationship or that relationship, but I'm not in a place to be able to do that. Will you help me so I can get there? God, hear these heart prayers. So I'm going to invite you right now. You take a moment, you and God. You say, God, I need your help in this area of my life. God, hear our prayers right now. We want to have incredible relationships that you've invited us to. That we love in a special way. That's what disciples of Jesus do. So God, I pray as a result of what you start doing today in people's lives that relationships are restored, relationships are reconciled. God, that relationships thrive. And that w- through that, God, we are the disciples you've called us to be. And this is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.